0: Hail and well met gentle listeners to uncultured universe. That's not the mood. We don't want that. Uh, Here we go. Hail and well met gentle listeners to uncultured universe where comrades share in the revelry of cinematic and melodious marvels, enriching each other's souls with the fruits of culture. I, Justin, thy humble guide through this cultural labyrinth doth stand before thee. Beside me in the radiant glow of our unexplored realm, stands Joe, whose charm and wit doth illuminate the stage of our uncultured odyssey. Upon this day, we cast our gaze upon the immortal tale of love's tumultuous journey, where fate, and passion intertwine in Baz Luhrmann's opus, Romeo and Juliet, verily 20 and eight years hence, or or, or 1996. Uh, Let's take a look at this trailer, Joe. incredible uh so yeah uh we're talking about william shakespeare's romeo and juliet directed by baz lerman joe you had never seen this before give me some hot takes right now
1: verily justin extremely verily um (laughs) so verily (laughs) listen i i have so many positive things to say about this movie i need to kick this off with an absolute caveat i am not a Shakespeare or literary scholar in any way. So I just like apologize for anything I say (laughs) about Shakespeare in this episode. Nor I. I. Yeah. 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 We, 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 this podcast is fully about one of us kind, trying to kind of like shed a little bit more cultural light on the other. And what better way than this movie? But I still, there, there may be areas where I am still a little in the dark and forgive me for Mm -hmm. those. That being said, what a movie. What a step forward for Baz if we're talking about like this little mini series that we're having. My god, yeah. From Strictly Ballroom to here, th- I th- mean,
0: that's like 15,000 steps ahead.
1: Yeah, comparatively. Yeah, like you, the, you you can absolutely see this and uh Mulan Rouge. We're talking about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet by the way. Great. Um uh, <laughs> <laughs> this and Mulan Rouge are definitely in orbit with each other and uh Strictly Ballroom is kind of like back in Houston Um, but (laughs) they they still they there are remnants of each other throughout and so uh, what a what a nice way to kind of cap off uh, Baz Luhrmann's red curtain trilogy Uh, we start (laughs) in the most ridiculous order we started with Moulin Rouge a year ago yeah we covered strictly ballroom earlier this month and then we're ending in the middle with uh, Romeo plus Juliet which is a, a staggering movie Absolutely. Um,
0: Yeah. I'm just, I'm so glad you like that's your first kind of like touch on it, right? Um, we did the machete version, right? We watched the the third and the trilogy, (laughs) then we watched number one, and then we ended with number two. We're, we're finishing strong with the Empire Strikes Back here. Uh, I did like Danny Trejo's cameo in Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) It's amazing. But, um, yeah, like you said, we're wrapping up the Baz Luhrmann and, um, Based on like just all that I know about Baz Luhrmann as a director, this is my first uh, encounter with uh, his uh, directorial prowess, his eye for creating and telling a story. And this is what I think of when I hear Baz Luhrmann directs, right? Uh, So when I saw or even heard that they were going to do an Elvis biopic and he was going to direct, I was like, okay, so it's going to look kind of like this maybe, which I still haven't seen yet. But um, this is just where I put him in of just like fast moving camera angles, tremendous performances, and then an absolute banger of a soundtrack.
1: It also really kind of starts like to 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 really define what a Baz Luhrmann movie is in a way that Strictly Ballroom doesn't. And I wonder if that's because like this is it's very much the start of like Baz Luhrmann's take on Blank, whereas yeah. Strictly Ballroom... Don't quote me on this, but it's maybe more of an original uh, story instead of like Baz Luhrmann takes takes Romeo and Juliet, takes this like uh, Moulin Rouge, which I think is based off of uh, an older story, takes Elvis's life and gives his his own spin. Right. Yeah. And then Great Great Gatsby. Gatsby. Yeah. Australia is different. Australia is Baz Luhrmann adapts a country. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he did a great job, you know, with two Australian actors. Right. I mean, it, it, it begins the 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 wheel of like, wow, like, what is Baz Luhrmann's take on this well-known story or thing
0: going to be? Um, and so what, what do you want to see Baz Luhrmann take on next? What great either like literary classic, space? OK, space, so like, yeah, so oh, like like Baz Luhrmann does a, a Star Trek movie or does. Uh, you know, what if Baz Luhrmann does Dune would have been cool.
1: Baz Luhrmann's Dune would be amazing you know what I was actually thinking was like the closest companion I guess like uh like comparison to this movie Romeo and Juliet in the 90s mm-hmm. was the fifth element which is like Luc Besson is like kind of they're kind like of best Baz friends do in space yeah. yeah they're like best friends yeah um, um it's France yeah. meets Australia but it still has that same level of like it's not cyberpunk really in Romeo and Juliet, but it's very much like the way that the camera kind of cuts and moves almost like on a beat. And it's very much like cling clang. And it's like the dirtiness of the streets out there, Um, but everything's also like extremely colorful. It's it it felt very fifth element to me.
0: Right. Yeah. They, you could, uh, you know, watch those movies side by side in parallel and, and definitely draw some comparisons for sure of just the wacky over the top, but still very beautiful to look at and still really compelling comp- uh, performances i feel like yeah but yeah this one is uh just like a shot out the gate comparatively uh what, what year was strictly ballroom 91 yes i should know this i think it was 91 that that feels <laughs> right 91 or 92 but still you know 4 years later to do this this movie of um you know a, a beloved tale of uh, star-crossed lovers, two star-crossed lovers. Um, you know, everyone knows how it goes and how it ends and the types of things that you're going to hear and uh, and things like that. But he really threw this on its head and um, in ways that I don't think Shakespeare has been visited before. Prior to all of this, it's been pretty faithful adaptations. I know the same year, uh, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, uh, did um, Hamlet, I think, 1996. I think uh, it was, a,
1: was there's there's a modern retelling of Hamlet that's maybe like a couple years later or maybe the next year. Are you talking about the Ethan Hawke one? Maybe, I don't know. Kenneth Branagh does like the uh, Much Ado About Nothing, maybe. I
0: think he's dabbled in a bunch of, uh, of Shakespearean work, but it's, those are all right. like very sort of, Uh, uh, at least close to the time period in terms of just interpretations. Uh, Julius Caesar and all this stuff from the 60s and 70s and Charlton Heston and all that. Um, But this one is just like a punk rock music video retelling of this beloved story. And I love it so much. Right. I mean, obviously the biggest gamble that Baz
1: is kind of playing here is that he has this like star-studded cast of like teen heartthrobs and he's putting them in this movie directed at teens but the the language is fully Shakespeare. The the script is them actually saying uh, Shakespeare's actual words yeah. within like a modern setting of what is maybe Los Angeles. Yes, is that ever uh, really confirmed?
0: It's uh so it's it's in Verona Beach, so it's right. kind of like LA uh kind of thing but it's still like our fair verona but it's just verona beach so it's just a a fake place but not really you know what i mean and
1: listen like we're called um uncultured universe for a reason Absolutely. um because part of me a very small like monkey brain deepest layer of my subconscious part of me was like okay maybe there's a reason we don't talk like this anymore because some of this sounds insane um but then like 90 <laughs> yeah. percent of the time i was like this actually translates the emotions and the 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 setting and the action of a modern movie like surprisingly well like oh, yeah. the, the language really isn't the issue here it kind of just adds an extra bit of spice to it uh mm-hmm. and i was surprised i did have to like turn on subtitles halfway through just 100%. you know make sure like i wasn't like missing anything you know i'm not I'm not stupid, but like I, I they spell things weird sometimes.
0: Um, yeah, uh, a lot of extra apostrophes and you know, deleting of random letters every so often. <laughs> a lot of haths and doths, um, wild stuff. Yeah, like I had to watch this with subtitles this this last go around because I do want to catch everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like like you said, uh, the performances of getting the point across, getting the emotion. It doesn't really matter what they're saying. You can kind of tell what what's going on in the scene. And um, I'll touch on a bit like my first introduction to Romeo and Juliet and and the readings of the story and all that kind of stuff. But before we get too much deeper, um, let's uh, let me hit you over the head with some with some numbers and some facts and some some figures of sorts, and then we'll just kind Give of go them to for me. That. Yeah, so, yeah. So directed by Baz Lerman, uh, released November first, nineteen ninety six, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Claire Danes, Brian Dennehy, John Leguizamo, Harold uh, Perrineau, Pete Postlewaite, Paul Sorvino and Diane Venora uh 147 million at the box office against their paltry budget of 14.5 million. You look at those numbers compared to uh uh strictly ballroom, you know, th- this is this is this definitely shot him into the upper echelon of film. He's stars. leveling up, yeah. He absolutely is. They I can't believe that they I mean, I can, but like, hey, this your first movie, Strictly Ballroom, did pretty good. Uh, you did, you did all right with a moderate budget and you know shooting on location in like a little rinky-dink um, dance studio. Um, here, take this giant thing and with all these star-studded actors, and here's uh, fourteen million dollars. Uh, make a make a blockbuster. How about, mm-hmm. how about that? Um, incredible, and he delivered hundred percent. Um natalie portman originally had the role of young juliet but during rehearsals it was deemed that she looked entirely too young playing opposite of leonardo who was 21 at the time so uh yeah you kind of have
1: to watch out for that
0: you gotta watch out for that he he started young in in the in the mid 90s uh (laughs) sarah michelle geller also turned on the role due to scheduling conflicts you know filming buffy and scooby-doo and things like that so was this early buffy when did when was buffy happening buffy was like 97 i think when it dropped so she was like just about to do buffy or like okay you know. so um but i think claire danes is phenomenal in this role opposite of uh leonardo um i have some thoughts on performances but we'll get to those a little bit later um let's see some other fun things here christian bale read for mercutio uh, which would have been cool, I guess, but Harold, Harold. Perrineau. Harold's fuck. on another level on this one. <laughs> Definite just early out the gate, we're gonna go ahead and call it right now, folks. MVP of this film is Harold Perrineau as Mercutio, just absolutely fucking killing it and taking it to the next level, like you said. Like it's he.
1: He seems to be the one who takes advantage of the Shakespearean <laughs> affect the most, I guess. Yeah. Like who. The, the dramatic language he's saying kind of sounds the most natural coming out of him just because he's like he's he's, he's going a thousand miles it. an hour with it. He's
0: yeah. owning it and, you know, delivering it in such a convincing way that makes it just so much fun. Yeah. Um, and you you can't take your eyes off of him whenever he's on screen, uh, even when he's dressed in drag, just like just dancing his ass off. And it's he, just incredible. I wasn't expecting
1: him to be kind of my favorite part. Well, I, I have two favorite parts of this movie. Um, kind of my one of my favorite parts of this movie because my only really like inroad to Harold Perrineau is Lost, um, and yes. he plays like it's it's not really fair because the writers kind of did him dirty, but he plays like one of my least favorite characters. He's kind of a bummer uh, on that show. Um, but in this one, he kind of just really gets to let loose and, God, like. One of my one of my notes that we talked about with Strictly Ballroom is that uh, Baz Luhrmann's really not afraid to like show his actors and the actors aren't really afraid in his movies to be like shown in what would be considered like an unflattering light, like a lot of close ups, a lot of like mouth work, a lot of like fish eyed lens type things. Yeah, Um, but I feel like. Everyone is fucking game in this movie. Uh, the same way they were with Strictly Barnum, The same way they were uh, with Mulan. Rouge. La Rouge. Like yeah, he, he's able to kind of like uh, incite something within these actors where it's just like, I'm, I'm going to shoot you, and this camera is going to look insane. Um, but uh, also like the energy that this movie has is just like pulsating.
0: You know, I know from the get, from the from the jump, like you get the super cool, um introduction that's you know uh the the typical line of the play you know in our fair city of verona that kind of thing hmm. um but it's coming from like a newscast which I love already that. is already so cool and it's just i like, love that so much it's like it's a framing a, device Ugh. oh god it's so genius uh because like that's what it is like it's it's coming across that whole part of the play and the story comes across as like you would read it in a newspaper or your it's the prologue to the story kind of a thing. And you're you're automatically just be like, okay, that's really cool. And then it just like jump cuts to like the crazy like helicopter shots, and it's just like I feel like I'm watching so many
1: helicopters. Like they, God, they had like eighteen
0: helicopters in a dream with this movie. Uh, And he was like, we got to use all of them. Ten million dollars of the budget went to helicopters, right? Like (laughs) I would not be surprised if that were the case. Um, Insane. Like so, from the gate, from within the first two minutes, you're just like, I'm locked in this is nuts because it's it's coming across like a music video it's it's like grungy dirty uh punk rocky like they're these are you know you know the story you know the time it takes place but they're wielding guns and like Mm -hmm. everyone's like like sweaty and like a little bit strung out and like kind of like ripped and hot and it's it's wild
1: Oh, everyone's hot in this movie. Everyone's I and so like
0: fucking hot.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's normal to, like, have these words kind of flow off the tongue because obviously Romeo and Juliet has been performed on stage 8 million times. But, like, the trick with this movie is that the kind of the cadence and the 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 affect, whatever you call it, of the words as they're using them mm-hmm. sounds so normal, sounds so conversational, like you would see in a regular movie in the 90s that you almost get kind of lost in it. And there were periods of time where I just, like, didn't even notice that they were talking in, like, Shakespearean Insane.
0: rhyme, you know? Insane speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, – some of it, every, every now and again, it's, you know, like a Shakespearean couplet or, or a sonnet kind of a thing where, like, it rhymes every other two lines, that kind of stuff. Other times, it's just – you know off the off the dome just kind of just talking mm-hmm. um but like that first scene at the gas station which is like such a 90s opener uh mm-hmm. opening scene with you know jamie kennedy and and uh who
1: i thought was seth green but no it's actually throwback to scream
0: way back i know crazy and then you get john Leguizamo's introduction as the prince of cats which is so fucking cool but like the things that they're saying it, it kind of fits it sort of feels like old english uh, mm-hmm. Which it is, right? Uh, it feels like you're watching something that's filmed in London, like you're watching Train Spotting, or something yeah. like that. Um, just, just all that kind of cool stuff, and I just, I just love that scene. It's so wacky and over the top, and it sets the tone of just like, oh, they're wielding fucking pistols, and it, it, they're like crime, you know, opposing crime families, and it's just nuts. You uh, want to, you want to hear a take that no one's probably said before? Shakespeare's language, pretty. Pretty timeless, pretty universal. It absolutely is. Um, <laughs> for being, you know, four, five hundred years old, or however old it is, I have no idea. <laughs> we're, uh, we're still dealing with these problems today. They fit right in. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. So, in the event of the inevitable uh, destruction of man and the mm-hmm. downfall of society and technology, I'm going to yeah. bring this back. Let's bring back this way of talking. Yeah, just for no unexplained reason, right? Just
1: you're going to be off. like that show. What station A station eleven. Um where it's basically the apocalypse and then they have like a traveling theater troupe going around after the apocalypse ends. Absolutely. It's an interesting show. I need Absolutely. to finish it.
0: That sounds really cool. What's, what what yeah. network it is that on? I need to find it. Um, it's on HBO. HBO, great. Um we're gonna do let's do a little bit of some awards corner. I know you love this. I know you get the tingles mm. from this. Uh this movie. All one, right. BAFTAs this movie took home several BAFTAs best direction best adapted screenplay best original film music and best production design lots of BAFTAs that's just like the British Oscars right yeah yeah I mean, uh, is is this movie particularly British I guess like Shakespeare yeah yeah right that that makes sense but I, I don't think there's an Australian BAFTAs version or is there they
1: they have like a it's called like an act uh I think it's like it it's an acronym it's mm. it's yeah um, every every country pretty much has like a, a a film version
0: of the Oscars. They should, yeah. If they're pumping out you know a bunch of uh, banger flicks, yeah. Uh, this movie was nominated for best art direction at the Academy Awards that following makes year. Makes sense. Yeah. And Claire Danes won best female performance at the MTV Movie Awards that next year in 1997. Go her.
1: One of our best faces, can I just say, Claire Danes? Mm. Uh, the way that she can just contort that damn face when
0: she is crying, my god oh god it's uh it it really just rips out your heart when she is crying and sad you're just like now i'm sad yeah like look what you've done look what you've done to
1: my my first touch point with claire danes was uh a movie that i'm hoping we can cover at some point on this podcast stay tuned folks um little women from 94 Mm. uh she she plays one of the little women um is she the, the little? Me. Not the littlest woman. She's like the middlest woman. No, Kirsten Dunst is the littlest woman. She's she's one of the middle ones. Okay. Um. But oh, the 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 crying faces in that
0: movie. Yes. Oh boy. Um. I I remember I didn't watch it because I was too young for it. But MTV had a a, a series called My So Called Life with Claire Danes, and that was mm-hmm. also a young Jared Leto as well. Hmm. Um, and, and I re- recall that as well. But this was also my first touchpoint as well for um, Leo DiCaprio. Uh, first touchpoint there. Super cool. Yeah, we're
1: it hits kind of an interesting point in his career, like on a high level, because he's not yet like crazy teen heartthrob, but this kind of starts to launch him. And then Titanic is next year, and he's mm-hmm. just like in the stratosphere ever since. Right. But this is actually post his first Oscar, because he gets an Oscar nomination for... Gilbert. Gilbert Great. Yep. Um, And so he's definitely on folks radar, but maybe not in like a in like a sex symbol kind of way.
0: Um, Yeah. No, no, no. But boy, does this movie turn that around? Yeah, he uh, he just gobbles up the scenery that, you know, um, Basil Ehrman just wanted him first and foremost uh, uh, out the gate. And I think it was from his obviously his performance from uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape of just like this kid uh, has something. You know, he's got that je ne sais quoi. He, he knows what mm-hmm. he's doing. He commands this the camera. Uh, and he's just got that super cool, you know, mid-90s teenage heartthrob look. He's got the wet hair that's always in his face. God, I wanted that hair so bad. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted long, stringy hair that was just always falling in my face and to just smoke a cigarette, you know, passively while I write in my journal. They all look uh, really cool. So They all look so cool.
1: What, what was your first touch point with this then? Like, was it being like a Shakespeare style movie intensely stylized Was that? Something that was on your radar at the time, or was it just like
0: pretty people doing pretty things? It's, it's more so the latter, right? It's, um, so 1996, I am not quite 10, I'm nine years old. And, uh, I think I watched this. Probably as soon as I turned 10, when it comes to HBO, the, mm-hmm. the you know, cu- a couple minutes months fo- a couple months following, um, I remember watching it, uh, in my room, like late at night. Um, and I was like, this is, I don't know what this is compelling. Like I'd heard of Shakespeare, but I'm in, in like third, fourth grade. We're not doing Shakespeare readings. We're not doing any of that. So, but I know that like William Shakespeare is a person who wrote plays a thousand years ago or whatever. Right, but um, <laughs> you know, I kind of know about Claire Danes from MT watching MTV growing up. I kind of know who uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is, but I don't know him by his first name. But I remember him from uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like it, it was a very you know mid '90s MTV era, perfectly fit in movie. Right, it fit it fits the demographic of the time. It feels like it's a MTV made for TV movie kind of a thing. Um, so I just like couldn't help myself but watch it when it came on, and I just remember just being engrossed in the story, and you know not really empathizing or understanding the emotion. But I remember like crying at the end of just being like I I don't understand. I know this is sad, but like I'm like what's what's happening? This is such an en- an enticing tale.
1: Not a not a whole lot of movies I've seen look like this. Like um, if we talk about scale. There's obviously like well lit moments in this movie. Again, like the art direction is fantastic. The balcony scene looks incredible in this Ooh, movie, yes. but then there's a lot of the movie that's filmed on that beach, like the, the Verona Beach, I guess. And there's like what looks like kind of like a hollowed-out art stage. Stage. Like it's a, a stage, stage, right? Yeah. With the- a lot of the movie is there, a lot of the confrontation is there. But there's a lot of scenes where it's just like a, an incredible like wide shot with like essentially the ocean in the background and like clouds overhead. And I'm like, wait, how did they actually film this? How much of this is real? How much of this is a painting? Because it looks like a painting. Like what what kind of trickery is happening here? Um, he, it's it's just an incredible level up in terms of scope. Yeah. Um, and there's also we 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 talked about how there's like a there's a almost like a garishness uh not really a tackiness to lerman's 90s movies like you can especially see it in strictly ballroom with like the costuming and the the insane makeup and hair um and in in this one um there's like a there's a neonness there's like an electricity that kind Ooh, of yeah. pops up a lot of the times so, like obviously you're in like 90s we're, we're just going to say L.A. There's there's a griminess there. But then you get to shots like the 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 big party sequence, the the ball, the not the bottom, the the balcony sequence. And then the the big uh, funeral room at the end, which is lit by fire, but also these like blazing, like electric
0: neon crosses. Um, which is insane, which is like which which I had a question like is is that comparable to your catholic upbringing like is that what church look like no 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 uh, no neon no neon that doesn't exist
1: no no fires like that 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 that, that's not a thing um but again i think there's it seemed like there's maybe like a lot of can I say Mexican influence on this? Mm. Is that what her family is supposed to be? Like a little bit more Hispanic? And then yeah. his is
0: more like Anglo-Saxon? Yeah, I think that was kind of the the, the feel, even though she looks nothing like it. But like her family, right. obviously. <laughs> yeah. Her family, yeah, obviously. It's, it's two warring crime families uh, in the pits of like L.A. kind of a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're more, you know, Spanish, Hispanic, that kind of thing. And then, yeah, just the whites. Because um, you have
1: you have lequizamo who
0: is my other favorite part of this movie he
1: is on another level in this movie he is hispanic yes mm-hmm. um you have miriam margo Margoles, professor sprout from harry potter as yep. her maid who is british in real life but she's playing hispanic in this which is great juliet's mother who i thought was incredible mm-hmm. um giving like a southern Accent to these Shakespearean lines sounds insane, amazing, so good. I, I, I want to hear like an entire play, just like in like deep South, like Shakespeare.
0: I'm sure um, it exists. I'm sure that exists. And then her dad looks like someone off The Sopranos; like he looks Italian. Yeah, so they're like a mix of like Span, which I imagine just like Spanish, you know, European kind of thing. Very dark Italian, that kind of stuff. It's just an amalgam of it. But I mean, like, they're like the house of cats, right? You know, they have, their logo is like a pouncing panther or something like that. It's wild.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Her dad's actually, I'm looking at the Wikipedia. It's, it's Paul Servino.
0: So Mira Servino's dad. Oh, that's right. Nepo baby. Uh-huh. Fun. Yeah. Surprised she didn't read for it. She was probably too young. Probably. Mira Servino. No,
1: I mean, she was, she was not this
0: time. Age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was on fire around right here. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, so before we we, we dig any deeper, well, let's we'll just, just go ahead and get the two things we always forget out of the way. We'll do the plot first, and then we'll get to our cocktails um, <laughs> because I have some fun little bits here. But anyway, Joe, I'm going to give you one minute, and you are going to give me the plot to William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet as directed by Baz Luhrmann in one minute. Are you ready?
1: One minute to do the most famous
0: story of all time. I'll try. Yep, here you go. Uh, three, two, one, go. Okay. Oh, three, two, one go. Three, two, one,
1: go. Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet is set in like a '90s LA, and they use like Shakespearean language. It stars Romeo and Juliet as these kind of star-crossed lovers. They're a part of two separate families who are like business um competitors and they hate each other and there's like gang fighting in the streets but then their parents are like the the dons of each family uh they meet at a party they immediately fell fall in love because they are just like yearning for love they're both they're both yearners um and they realize that they're a part of these warring families and so they have to go off and get married in secret this ultimately uh, leads to a chain of events where romeo's best friend is killed and romeo kills juliet's cousin as a result uh, they ha- kind of have to go on the run. There's a lot of misunderstanding that leads to Julius faking her own death to be with Romeo. Romeo doesn't realize that she's faking her own death. He kills himself to be with her. She wakes up and then kills herself to be with her. And everyone feels bad. And maybe a
0: lot of the conflict is resolved through tragedy. Absolutely, it is. W- actually, you know what, Joe? I got to say, a-, a lot of the times I'm just placating you by like, yeah, that was a really good um, plot description. That was actually very apt and, and well, well read.
1: It's Good a tip. it's a bit of a well-known story.
0: <laughs> yeah. Even though there are there's like a lot of head scratching moments of just like. Yeah. So what I, was their original beef? I, I don't, purposefully you know.
1: skipped over a lot at the beginning. You just kind of got to get into it. Uh, I mean, that's there's it. a lot of build up to actually introducing the two of them.
0: Yeah. The, oh, there, there is so much. There's backstory. There's Paul Rudd who shows up unex- oh unexpectedly. That was Dave. the biggest surprise
1: of the movie. I mean, I, I did not realize Paul Rudd was in this.
0: But and he's so he, perfect. He's ridiculous and over the top. Um but so he's, he's playing
1: his Parks and Rec character in this which was Bobby Bobby oh. Newport. Bobby Newport.
0: He's basically like a <laughs> uh, a lovable little dolt who's super rich. Yeah, and he's just trying to just like marry the the next richest uh he's marrying into the rich family or just the powerful family, I should say.
1: I um, I expected him to be somewhat involved in like revenge against romeo because i think i was thinking through the west side story version of this which is also an adaptation of romeo and juliet where yep. um romeo dies but juliet doesn't but it, it becomes kind of like a this guy kills this person so this guy kills this person so this guy kills this person and this guy kills um wh- whatever his name is in west side story tony yeah yeah, um, yeah. it's tony right um tony sorry is romeo I expected there to be like a one more level of revenge that Paul Rudd was in invest uh, involved in. Um, But no, they, the, the two, the two dumb little lovers take, take care of it themselves. Yeah. Those two stupid
0: teenagers. They're uh, so stupid. God, love so dumb. <laughs> like there's, so there's a question that came up and I can't remember what it is. Like the, what the answer is, but like uh, Ryan and I were watching it and, the whole time when like Leo is like chasing down to gun the fuck down Tybalt and it's just like, scene. honestly, one of the best scenes, uh, most well acted, I think, uh, from Leo's part in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, of just like, what was Tybalt's original beef with, with Romeo other than just like our families are at war with each other, but like, was there something more specific there or was it just he... like, Hey, fuck that guy no he like he gate crashed the party and then was that it? i thought but before that they were still they were kind of like kind of warring against each other a little bit oh i mean like yeah it's their their families hate it's each just... other so they hate
1: each other um yeah but it it becomes kind of like oh romeo's like encroaching on my territory and even if he doesn't Know that Romeo is literally married to his cousin at that point. Like you, you get the sense that Romeo is maybe uh, trying to be a little too close uh, with this family, and so You're he's like, close, man. Fuck, "Fuck off, <laughs> fuck that
0: guy." Yeah, you come to my house and you try to party over here. You get the fuck out of here, man.
1: But it's also interesting. You get like the the kind of chink the, the 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 glimpses of like when he takes it too far. Like you this movie's all about like machismo and stuff and they're like uh stunting to each other but Mm. then like once someone dies uh actually in the fight there's like genuine shock and you and you get that really in like the the west side story version too where the tybalt character is like oh fuck this this just became something else um and
0: he takes it too far but at that point romeo is determined to kill him and he does so god and it's and it yeah that and that's when it takes a turn so like we watched this movie in two parts we watched the first half like right up until mercutio dies and then so like we watched like the cool like sexy lovey part and then we watched the just the super bummer half end uh (laughs) back end where just everybody dies and it's really dour but uh everyone knows that that's that that's coming but um honestly joe that was a really great uh plot recap cheers to you my friend thank um, you with our cocktails so this is kind of a purpley guy that i got here uh but it has a friend um so this is the something that i'm calling uh Juliet's poison and her dead romeo there's there's par- uh, parentheticals and stuff so yeah. this is to represent her poison that she drinks that like deadly nightshade kind of puts her to sleep uh and then this is the green poison that he buys off the crazy drug dealer guy at the pool hall to off himself so yeah they, these oh yeah together. that guy that guy uh yeah so this is just ginger beer and empress gin and this is tequila and melon liqueur and some sweet stuff do so, you are you about to take a shot or do you pour it in i'm taking a shot oh like like romeo does before he he bites it yeah justin uh, just took a shot oh and it's delicious and then you know, I just got this guy
1: I, of course, thought uh, along similar lines because we always do. Um, I have what I'm calling a poisoned love. Mm. Um, It is uh, half a part grenadine syrup, one part passion fruit liqueur, two parts white rum, three parts ginger ale. Kind of mainstays in the Joe household for cocktails, as you guys can track. And then a maraschino cherry that kind of like drips down to the bottom, a bit of darkness at the center. Uh, It it very much represents like, ooh, like a sweet outer core. But once you get uh, to the end of this journey, it can only end in
0: darkness because you're (laughs) both dead. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, all are punished, uh, which is a hell of a way to end that whole scene of just like, Your kids killed each other or they off themselves and it's your fault. You have to live with it. Everybody's punished. Fuck you guys. And it's, it's such a hell of a way to end it. That, that chief of police, uh, has a
1: fucking face for the screen. Like that guy's face is incredible in terms of like delivering, uh, line work again. My only, uh, through line to him is through another TV show. He's on daredevil and he kind of sucked on that show too um Ah. it sucked but like i i I didn't love him as much and so uh this 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 movie is like kind of uh giving new life
0: to a lot of actors for me absolutely Uh, um let's tug on those threads a little bit more let's let's go ahead and dive into the performances i'm gonna jump around uh and go there i'm just gonna just throw the first stone and say leonardo is not at his strongest in this movie i think a lot fired shots fucking fired a lot of his line delivery feels like he's reading lines. Okay. Um, And like he's just trying to just get through the scene just to say what he needs to say. But other characters that he's bouncing off of uh, sometimes do the same. But um, other people, like we've already talked about, um, Harold Perrineau doing Mercutio, just owning the lines and making them come to life and feel like he's actually meaning what he says as opposed to just reading fucking lines. Um, mm-hmm. whoever plays uh Benvolio, his 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 bud, um his cousin, like the kind of the peacekeeper guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he delivers the lines way better than Leonardo does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um in a more convincing way. Um and, and I think that's kind of the main kind of pitfall that I have with this movie upon this rewatch is that like some of the times the language doesn't quite come through enough to make it convincing. But some of the other characters and other people are um, take it to that next level, like John Leguizamo, like Claire Danes, like Harold Perrineau, just really just pulling you in other times, just like, I know you're trying to like read this line and it's mouthy and it's weird, but um, it's not as convincing or compelling to me. But yeah, shots fired.
1: Yeah, I think Romeo and Juliet in this movie and I'm sure in the play version are saddled with a lot of the kind of quieter more contemplative lines and so there's a lot more room for you to kind of notice oh it it feels like they're kind of reading off of a page instead mm-hmm. of like shouting it to the heavens and like uh really kind of having an energy behind it so there's there's uh, a, a degree of like difficulty there what i what i actually found uh s- surprised me and i kind of like laughed at a few points is like a lot of claire dane's line readings are like She's kind of like a horny little scamp uh, in this. She she has like some <laughs> innuendo in a lot of her lines where she's oh, talking yeah. about like, there's one line that definitely uh, references Romeo's penis. And then there's mm. another line where she's like, she's like waiting in bed after they're married, but they haven't like consummated the marriage. And she's just kind of like, when
0: when are we going to when are we going to go to bone town here? I'm going to do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah, He's I like, I I slept in late, I need to leave, and she's like, no, 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 let's let's have some morning, Nookie. It's not that late, that's not that early. It's like, no, I need to leave or I'm going to die. <laughs> when she says like, no, that's not the sun, that's like a meteor
1: in the sky, I love it.
0: Yeah, um, it's so good. There's so many good good things in here, and it's just um, I, I think she does the most convincing of the two title characters in terms of mm-hmm. her line delivery. Her emotion throughout reads, I will say, and I touched on this earlier, of leonardo when he is at his breaking point and he is hunting down tybalt and he's you know holding the gun you know it's like either thou or i or both you know go to greet him and like and he's just like sobbing and screaming at the top of his lungs like that is the most compelling he is even though he's saying the same line over and over it is so powerful but that like that's his standout scene for me
1: yeah i almost and this is almost like a complaint to shakespeare himself Um, which is ridiculous but like i almost wanted more of a direct relationship with leonardo and mercutio to kind of help sell that loss in him because it seemed like he had a closer one-on-one relationship with With his cousin benvolio right and i the whole time i was thinking like wait is benvolio the one who dies who kind of like starts all of this but no it's obviously mercutio but mercutio is kind of like going in between both families and has a relationship with both i didn't I didn't feel the closeness of their relationship, even though he's literally introduced with a title card, which I loved. That's like Romeo's best friend. Best friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the title cards. They're so good. Yeah. I mean, one, one of my notes is like, and we, we, we see this a lot in Baz's other movies is like he as a director just like knows what he has available to him visually and uh, musically and is not afraid to just like, use whatever sort of filmmaking it takes to just like get the emotion across, get the point across, get the message across. And so he can have these kind of like zany little camera moves. He can put text on the screen. He can start the, he can bookend the movie with this like, uh, out of body TV, uh, anchor. He can have, uh, this choir boy singing Desiree in like extreme <laughs> uh, close up with like them getting married and the out of focus, God, uh, which is wacky <laughs> looks incredible. It looks like, oh God, that scene looks like a postcard from somewhere I want to visit. Like, mm. can we, can we talk about the music in this?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a whole section to talk about the music and soundtrack. Give,
1: give me, give me some notes.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, other than that, just the soundtrack absolutely rips. No one makes soundtracks like this anymore. Like, the mm-hmm. movies don't feel quite the same uh, w- without these kind of things from the 90s. Like, I don't know. I hate to sound like such an old guy of just, no. like, man, they don't make them like they used to, or bands aren't what they used to. But, like, fucking uh, Radiohead, the that track, uh, Talk Show Host, and, uh, like, Cardigans, and Desiree, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, fuck, uh, I think there's, like, uh, the, the Verve or Verve Pipes on there. Uh, but mm-hmm. like, it's, it's so good and it just fits flawlessly. And that's, that kind of goes along with my earlier point of like, this just feels like an MTV made for TV movie. Yeah. It-, it
1: reminded me of like 10 things I hate about you. Just like the, the mm-hmm. needle drops in that movie being incredible. And just like, so like prototypically nineties uh, yeah. in that way.
0: Yeah. I, I love the um just, just all the touches, the mixes of the band. Like this is the first time that I remember understanding, like, the soundtrack being a disconnected but still connected piece to a movie um mm-hmm. the first touch point i have is just like 1994's force gump same kind of thing of just like an absolute banger soundtrack that kind of takes you yeah. through the story um same kind of thing here and then um this was my first introduction to or second really introduction to radiohead um the first one being their hit creep that everybody knows um but this one in particular uh like when we first are introduced to uh leo's romeo they're playing that song uh that is just cemented in my brain anytime i hear that song i see a lamentful you know romeo on the beach writing mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette, kind of a thing um but another cool note is that they wrote the end title track um exit music for a film uh and for a film is this film they wrote that song for this soundtrack which is crazy that the the end song is like original to this movie yeah the uh baz lerman baz lerman came to tom york and the rest of radiohead and was like hey uh do you want to write a song for the end of this romeo and juliet uh movie that i made and they're like yeah so they showed him the movie and they're like um great i know what we're gonna do and it's just this really sad acoustic track which just absolutely bangs and that's the song that i used for uh the the trailer at the top um that i did And then also another note, I know we watched season, at least season one of Westworld. That song is in the last scene of the last episode of the last season. I was going to
1: say, that's, that's how I know the song.
0: (laughs) It's just so good. Um, but yeah, yeah, so the band was shown, you know, the preview of the movie and they were like, yep, I know what we're doing. So Tom York, you know, said, you know, I wrote this song as to, uh, as a song written for the two people who should run away before all the bad stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, they really uh, should have just gotten out of there. God. Like have your one night of, of, you know, sexual exploration with each other and, you know, <laughs> cement your love together, but then get the hell out of Dodge. Like, what are you doing? Um, because it's all, it, it all falls apart with the priests or father Lawrence, friar Lawrence's shoddy ass plan he
1: he really came up with that on the damn fly and then he regretted it for the rest of the movie you could see immediately. it immediately like there's no way
0: this is going to work like never trust uh, uh what is it um it's not fedex it's post haste uh with delivery <laughs> oh my money. god
1: i loved the mail in this movie
0: so good and then like he's at the scene he's at the the counter of the place and they're like yeah, I don't know. We tried to deliver. I don't know what to tell you. And he's like, I need to write another letter to Mantua post-haste. And it's just like, (laughs) no, dude. like, You need to try a different method. You need to go to the chapel and wake up Juliet before anything bad happens. And he's just like, oh, well, I'm just going to write another letter. (laughs) So he's really at fault. Friar Lawrence is really the bad guy uh, at the end of this.
1: Yeah, Um, But the one thing that kind of surprised me with the music is I realized once the the main love theme, I guess it's like, it's the Desiree song, but like yeah. the the score version of it, I had heard it a bunch before and it, it's kind of like, it's been in rotation. I listen to like musical scores um, just like while I work or study or whatever. Um, so I've been listening to it for like years and I never made it, it, made the connection that it was connected to like this Romeo and Juliet movie. I thought, I always yeah. thought it was like the one that was in the. 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. um, because it sounds kind of old fashioned in that way. But the yeah. the moment when it starts playing, when they first meet each other and they're kind of like going up and down in the elevator, kind of doing this like this, like uh, what's it called? Like the uh, like this comedy of errors with like them trying to yeah. avoid her parents while also just like making the fuck out in oh, this elevator so... while this score is blasting. I was like, this I, I, I know this music. Uh yeah. I, I am already connecting to this uh on a level that I didn't expect.
0: Yeah, it's so good. I love that part in the in the party scene of so this mirrors, you know, the the scene from Moulin Rouge where it's like, hey, let's take let's drop acid and go to the party and have a bad time. <laughs> and it's it's so wild because it just crescendos and then it just like has this nice, you know, respite part and they both go to the you know the cool ass bathroom at the giant aquarium and he sobers himself up by dunking his head in the water which quick tip for everybody like that ain't gonna do it um, <laughs> <laughs> he was still tripping balls uh for a while but um i love that scene so much because it it you know hits this high point of this wacky crazy party and then it's just the sweetest moment the meet cute of seeing each other through the through the uh, fish tank um uh there there's something that uh baz lerman mentioned of just like water is the connection piece for the two characters because that's how mm-hmm. you kind of introduced to them uh and that's kind of the through line through their story and some bits but um it doesn't really get yeah. to fruition totally but it's it's pretty neat they're they're kind of they're
1: like their big emotional apex takes place in like a, a pool and mm-hmm. The, the entire balcony scene, I kept thinking the whole time. So it's like it's it's Romeo coming back to see Juliet after the party's over. They both realize they're part of like these warring households, but like they just can't get enough of each other. And so it's a classic him. like wherefore art thou Romeo? And like he's calling up to the balcony. And the whole time I was thinking like this should be like so cloying. This shouldn't work. This should feel super awkward. He climbs up like a rose Trellis, Trellis, yeah, Uh, and then he's like following her around the pool. She doesn't know he's there for some reason. They surprise each other and then they end up in the pool. They're trying to like avoid these security guards. it should be the most insane, wacky thing, but they both just like sell it like you can you can sense the connection between them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 in their eyes like they're they're both just kind of like fascinated with each other because they're t- these two humans that have like finally found this piece that has been missing their whole life. And so you can't help but get kind of caught up in it. Uh, and you
0: would believe for half a second that they they would decide to get married right then and there. Yeah, right. And she's like, hey, we can't do this. And he's like, all right, well, how about we get married? And she's like, done. Let's <laughs> let's go and do this. Drop your pants right now. <laughs> and then uh, it's so it's so good and so sweet. Um, you mentioned you know the 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 yearning scene, the the uh, communal yearning between the two, and the infamous balcony scene. I wanted to share with you one of my favorite things from um, the era of uh, high high COVID. Um, oh, uh, and we'll talk about it. Let's see.
1: Are you hearing something, Justin? I'm not hearing it.
0: Are you not hearing anything? Oh shit! No. Damn! <laughs> I thought you would be hearing this whole time. All right. Well, uh, disregard everybody. I was trying to play uh, uh, Pedro Pascal reading uh, the soliloquy from Romeo as he reads. Does um, he have theater training? Is that is that what we're meant to believe here? Oh yeah, and it's and he but he's doing it. Hold on. Let me see if I can get this to work. Yeah. Uh Yes, Bear with no his listeners. Yes, no? No. No. Okay. Well, um either way, it's it's <laughs> it's dynamite. It's great. Um but he's reading it in Spanish and it is just instant gush uh because it is so good and compelling, but uh during the the height of the pandemic he did that and um it was super yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, uh, this, uh, I had some other notable featured in, in other media, the whole Romeo and Juliet thing uh, from, did you ever see Hot Fuzz? Yeah. <laughs> Do you get it now? Like, I love that whole thing. They're, that shitty, like, local theater troupe puts on. Where it ends I, with, like, the cardigans. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it's so funny. And they're just like, they're wearing, she's wearing the wings and he's wearing, like, the armor thing on his shoulders. <laughs> And they're just openly making out on the table during the end scene. It's so fucking funny. Um, mm. Last thing here. So that was my, that was my other one. Was just Pedro doing his fucking thing. And I mean, um, we. I'll I'll try and watch it
1: afterwards. It, it, this movie does really make the argument for like we should try Shakespeare like in as many like languages and accents and dialects as possible because even the mixtures that you get in this movie between like. Kind of the more Hispanic Leguizamo and the pure, like it's uh, not pure, but like uh, American um, Leonardo and Claire Danes. And then again, like the, the Southern uh, mother character, it's, yeah, it's, it's so many like interesting takes on this that kind of give it a, a spin that you weren't
0: really expecting. Yeah. And it, and it, it just works, you know? Um, Oh, uh, okay, let me see, let me see, let me see. Did I get this part? What are you trying to do? It? I just tried <laughs> to get this work. So here it goes, here it goes. Silencio. Que ilumina desde aquella ventana las tinieblas? Es Julieta. Es el sol. En el Oriente surge sol y con tus rayos mata la luna enferma y porque tú clara. Ya lo lleva a it's so good.
1: It's so fun. God he sounds amazing. I want right? to I want to listen
0: to that whole entire play uh, well, j- oh, him playing I mean, every character. I know just like a fucking fistful of lotion just having fun um it's so good but i came across that like organically on tiktok and i was like oh i haven't thought about that movie in so long mm-hmm. i need to go back and rewatch it and it's so good this other the last thing i wanted to talk about is uh, or one of the last things um did so did you read this in high school did you read the play or the the story in high school
1: we we did we had this in ninth grade high uh high school i think yeah. i was like out for for some reason like the week we discussed it but yes we did i was homeschooled up until high school so i did merchant of venice in eighth grade which is kind of like a slightly more insane shakespearean play uh yeah. and then this
0: is the one that we covered at the end of ninth grade yeah yeah i i, I too did this in ninth grade i guess it's just like a georgia standard to like yeah, read read this ridiculous heightened over the top hypersexual crazy violent story uh to ninth graders which is bonkers um but like we read the story and then we watched the movie from the 1960s um mm-hmm. and and it was everyone in the room had a part to read and oh that's in, fun during the thing and i read as Benvolio, as Ooh. um you know uh, romeo's cousin but like also his best friend uh, question mark, but not quite as cool as, as Mercutio. So you were kind of
1: basically like, can everyone chill for a fucking second the entire can everyone time? Everyone chill the fuck out before something bad happens, you guys. <laughs> you guys, I think I hear the police coming. <laughs> like,
0: we're going to be fucked. Yeah. And I, yeah, I love that Benvolio is kind of like the voice of reason. Like, towards the beginning, he's like, hey, Romeo, like, what the fuck? Weren't you just in love with Rosaline? Like, what happened to her? And he's just like, no, 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 fuck that. I got somebody else in mind. And he's like, This is bad news, man. This ain't going to end well for you. And he's like, No, 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 it's fine.
1: Anyway, so amazing. I didn't miss it. Like, Rosaline is an unseen character in this movie, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There is a movie that came out a couple years ago that is about her that I mm-hmm. now want to watch. I think it has Caitlyn Deaver in it. And it's like a yeah. comedy where it's like Rosaline's point of view. I got to yeah. go look that up.
0: Of just being just like pushed to the side immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, but yeah, 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 you're right. Uh Caitlin Deaver, Caitlin Deaver. She's in gonna be in the new season of Last of Us, I think. Yeah, yeah. Playing a playing a pivotal role,
1: speaking of Pedro.
0: Amazing. Oh god, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) They go golfing together. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Um, last little bits (laughs) here. I want to just talk about the film itself and and lerman the Lerman of it all. Um so yeah, so he sought out to create a movie in a way that he thought Shakespeare himself might make a movie if he were a director, which is such a unique, like weird batshit way to say like, yeah, it's a weird movie, but like Shakespeare was a weird guy. So I'm going to make the movie like how he would, which is kind of cool. Right. Um, you know, saying that, you know, Shakespeare was obviously ahead of his time. Um, a relentless entertainer putting on real heavy hitting shows for audiences of all sizes, not just for the uh, elite, not just for the, the dirt poor but everybody um the thing i read was like shakespeare's only competition were like whorehouses and <laughs> like people fighting bears in a in a cage kind of a thing <laughs> so he he like elevated society in a lot of ways um which is super cool but uh um yeah a lot of the film was filmed in mexico city some parts filmed in miami so that's kind of where it has like that latin flair to it maybe. Really? So it's it's not like California at all? Am I completely wrong with the Los Angeles bit? I mean, it's supposed to feel like Los Angeles with the, the at least the helicopters of it of it all yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah. Uh, 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 a neat thing about the filmmaking here. Apparently, this, this trouble was uh, replete with issues filming. There were hurricanes wiping out sets left and right just because mm-hmm. of where they were filming at. In fact, the Mercutio death scene was like just before the hurricane hits so that's like all the shit blowing away and like the crazy winds that you're seeing are are real hurricane force winds which is why i i think that's what i was talking
1: about like how on earth did they film this i guess it was just like unplanned and he was like capture it capture it keep rolling
0: like when the storm rolls in like after mercutio uh dies and like. The sky is, like, black, blackened and all that kind of it stuff. It looks Obviously, like
1: insane, like, special effects, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was painted a little bit uh, to, to kind of darken it and kind of heighten that. But, um, yeah, overall, that that was a real storm that was rolling in. Super Alrighty. Cool. Um, uh The cast and crew were constantly getting sick. This is the, the time frame that they were filming. And uh, the hair and makeup person got fucking kidnapped by, like, a local uh, uh, cartel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I had to pay a <laughs> ransom and uh uh to get get them back, which is wild. But um we got a, a super cool movie uh out of it. Um <laughs> this movie is crazy over the top, quick cuts, zooms, flash dance, drag performance. So that, this was my first exposure to like what a drag performance can be and it's it's yeah. it's fucking magic. He looks great. Yeah. Uh hats off to Mercutio, uh, Harold Perrineau just giving it. Um her his uh his Merc uh, Mercus yeah. Up, <laughs> Mercuse, I'll look into it. Joe, give me some other thoughts. Give me some other things before we get into our end game. Yeah, I had a couple final thoughts here.
1: Um just talking about Baz, like the way I like boiled down his style from these three movies that I watched, like he he loves a a highlight. He like he loves like a, a height of something, whether yeah. it's like Um, whether it's like he's he's if something's beautiful he's going to push it to be more beautiful but if something's like insane or or grotesque or whatever he's going to push it in that direction as well yeah and so you get these like crazy close-ups on people you get these like uber stylized moments where everything is just super heightened Uh, and so there's there's nothing that well there's not a lot that's particularly like average in his movies but no. When they when they do have those moments, when you do have those like slowed down kind of low key moments, they stand out as a result. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about this probably with Moulin Rouge and a little bit with Strictly Ballroom as well. It's like his his normal is so heightened that he's able to use normality as kind of like a, a standout moment.
0: Yeah. And it's the the great equalizer to some of those lower key moments, which helps him as a filmographer or filmmaker. You know, help those scenes stand out and stand up against some of those crazier, flashier bits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he got a taste for blood, uh, like literally <laughs> uh, fucking just he's like, oh, I can do tragedy like really well. Yeah, I, like it just undercutting. Like, obviously, this is a pre-written story, that kind of thing. So you knew it was coming, but he does it really, really well. Um, you, you really love to see how like one plus one equals two
1: with like the, the progression of this trilogy of films that he's making. Cause we talked about, yeah, strictly ballroom is about dance as an art form. This movie is about poetry as an art form. And then Moulin Rouge is about, I think it's song, right? Yeah. Is what he wanted to focus on, but there are elements of all three within Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge is kind of like the apex of all of this the culmination. You get, of it. you get, you get, you get dance, you get, Tragedy, you get comedy, you get like modern music mixed with like melodramatic dialogue. Uh, you get Leguizamo. You um, Leguizamo is kind of the
0: the key piece of this. If only he showed up in uh Strictly Ballroom, like that would have been great, he just like as right a in. background character, he would have fit right in. He absolutely yeah. would have. Um, is but er-
1: is- low key, like is, is Leguizamo kind of like our most watched because we have
0: at least three, right? We should make a little little tally, but yeah, like Mulan Rouge, this one, and um, um, uh, uh Two Wong Fu, Wong Fu, Two Wong Fu. And, yeah. yeah, God, I was going crazy there. Well, um, if you've never seen Spawn, we'll we'll throw that in there, and that'll be another <laughs> Leguizamo. I've take. never
1: seen Spawn. Oh my God,
0: it's probably from the same year or year after. I think it was 1997 when he did Spawn. Should just Make this a Leguizamo podcast.
1: Do all the Ice Ages. <laughs> i only saw like
0: the first two so yeah we can follow up with those that'd wow. be great um but yeah i love this movie so much it's so good um he Bazlerman, specifically talking about him just like aimed for the fences and then just completely knocked it into the next park over different sport entirely he hit the ball out of the park and it went to the local uh bowling alley got a strike and then a pin spun around and <laughs> went into a basketball <laughs> To connect all the sports (laughs) references, he fucking killed it with this movie. The cast, the right, the direction, art direction, all that kind of stuff, and it is incredible. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, and I'm I can't believe you've never seen it before, but I'm so glad you have now because it is such a rounding out, uh, not only of the trilogy, but like in terms of just like who who Baz Lerman is as a filmmaker. Yeah, I would say in terms of like
1: uber stylized like Shakespearean adaptations that also like use the language. I know they did a version of Hamlet in the 90s that maybe wasn't as well received. But if you want to check out something that is very fun and interesting to watch, check out like the the Macbeth that they did in the last couple Ooh. of years with Denzel Washington. Ooh, okay. The, oh, OK. It's the Cohen brothers. Ooh. It's like very kind of minimal. It's black and white. It's Denzel Washington and um, Francis McDormand as like Lord and Lady Macbeth. It's pretty incredible, um, and it's like them using like the Shakespearean dialogue all the way through. But it's like it's like these like actors at like the height of their power, just like letting it
0: rip. Well, I mean, um, like that's the, to me like Shakespeare is uh, anytime you want to see an actor be an actor, right? <laughs> there's there's so many like anyone who's anyone who's like a really good actor has done something on screen, has done Hamlet, has done Macbeth, has done some soliloquy. Uh, uh, Who's, who's super hot right now. Who's the priest from um, Fleabag? Andrew Scott, Andrew Scott, uh, you know, he has absolutely done theater. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like him, (laughs) um, you know, you think of uh, uh, like Sir Patrick Stewart and Sir Ian McKellen uh, doing their interpretations and obviously Kenneth Brinnell and all this kind of stuff like actors who like fucking, rip it and understand what it is to perform and be uh an actor's actor or performance performers performer kind of a thing is uh it this is who you draw from guys guy girls girl yeah and, and or girls guys and guys who like girls guys, girls who like girls who dress up like that like it's it's everybody's thing um yeah. this is great i love this movie let's get to the end game here baby Yeah, that's nine inch nails, does Radiohead. Um My word. Joe, we're playing a game most uncultured. I'm gonna read to you, uh I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe, um, little bits of dialogue, uh, either straight from the film or uh it's just like an amalgam description of the film. Okay. But these are gonna be movies that we've covered on the podcast. I'm just ripping straight from you. I love that idea. Um but it's going to be in Shakespearean English. So, so I'm going to read something to you and you tell me what movie this is from. It's either a it's, line of dialogue or a description. Okay. It's from the individual movies that we... I got you. I got you. Yes. That okay. we've covered. So like think through the Rolodex of the movies that we've covered. And um, yeah, uh, uh, just just get ready for that. So let me, get, let me get us some background music to set the mood. <laughs> <laughs> because I tried to do that at the top, and it didn't quite hit. No, I can hear it. I can hear it. Okay, this is good. This will work. All right, uh, number one. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Thou deemest this hath no relevance on thyself. Thou dost select from thy wardrobe a garb, perchance a lackluster blue cloak, to perchance thy indifference to attire. But that garment, it is not mere blue, nay, tis cerulean. This is, the, this is the
1: Cerulean monologue from episode one,
0: Devil Wears Prada. Absolutely. Uh, question two. Mark me, good folk. The bravest souls are those who dare to venture beyond the bounds of known realms. Tis the explorer who charts the course through tempestuous seas of uncertainty, guided by naught but the stars in their own indomitable spirit. Forsooth, 'tis our destiny as humankind to seek out new horizons, to cast off the chains of familiarity, and to embrace the mysteries that lie beyond. Oh God! Just think of the the, the hit the hit words that I hit in there. Yeah, what am I talking about? Stars, embrace new horizons. Seek out. What did out we,
1: What did we do that was in space? Oh. oh. Is this Interstellar?
0: Yeah, you weren't here for it. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bitchy move. <laughs> hey, But you love that movie, so, you know. <laughs> Question three. Come, mortal soul, and kneel before the Lord of Shadows. Cast aside thy futile notions of righteousness and embrace the darkness that lurks within thee. Tis but a small price to pay for the power and glory that await thee the realm of eternal night yield to me and together we shall rule over all creation
1: okay just going off of vibes i'm gonna say legend that would be right okay
0: yeah darkness yeah okay yeah. a lot of this is vibes some some of these aren't one for one translations i'm like um,
1: scrambling to trying to remember
0: all the movies that we've covered yeah all right number four <clears throat> Oft I have pondered the nature of memory, that fleeting wisp of time that doth bind us to our past. What folly it is to seek escape from the pains of yore, for tis in the crucible of remembrance that we find the true essence of our being. Though memories may fade like shadows at eventide, their imprint upon the soul doth endure, shaping the course of our lives for eternity.
1: Again, like themes, this this feels like eternal sunshine. Absolutely, it is. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Well done. This is Haunting
1: good. memories, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> Number five. Listen, good folk, and mark me well, for I am the architect of a realm where connection are forged in the fires of innovation. Tis upon this canvas that I paint, paint the portrait of a new era where the bonds of friendship are woven Within threads of information binary in nature. Behold the dawn of a revolution where the world shall be united in a network of infinite possibilities. <laughs>
1: What's like an extreme techno movie we've covered? <laughs> you could do it. Come on. Did we talk about like the Matrix? No. No. Almost. Kind of.
0: Kind of.
1: Okay. I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to look at the list of movies. What can you can you give me a hint if it was my movie or yours?
0: This was my pick. You had this never seen pick. this movie before. Yeah.
1: But it's like a techno movie.
0: Mhm. Okay. It's technological in nature, yeah. <laughs> um fuck. Say it again. I'm not going to say it all again, but uh I'll pick out some threads and <laughs> <here>, there. <laughs> uh uh threads of information binary in nature uh connections are forged in the fires of innovation friendships are woven oh oh oh
1: this is the social network this is a social network yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's good all right here we go uh number six hark and attend to me good people a humble servant of flora and fauna alike. Tis in the quiet sanctum of my botanical emporium that I find solace and purpose, tending to the verdant blooms that grace my humble abode. But beware, for within the shadows lurks a menace most dire of insatiable appetite and voracious ambition. Pray, heed my warning, lest ye fall prey to the wiles of this carnivorous fiend.
1: Justin, this is fantastic did you come up with all of these fuck no <laughs>
0: okay uh this is little shop of horrors uh a joe favorite a joe favorite yeah absolutely uh ashamed to admit uh be on to thee uh this was Chat gpt um <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i know <laughs> that was amazing yeah uh i got a couple here uh, a couple more here take heed travelers and mock me well for these woods be fraught with danger most dire. Tis not merely the shadows that lurk amidst the trees, but the unforeseen forces that dwell within the very heart of the forest. Beware the one that prowls in search of prey, lost souls, for its hunger knows no bounds, and its fury is unmatched by mortal hand. In the woods? In the woods
1: is this uh, is this trick-or-treat
0: no no close to it close to that release it sounds horror-ish um it was in the same month or maybe a month prior to when we did this one when not when it came out as a movie but like when When we we did when we talked about it yeah
1: oh oh this is this
0: is over the garden wall absolutely yeah the woods (laughs) yeah All right, Joe, this is the last one. You're doing great, by the way. Mm. Oh, this is perfect for it. This is the perfect backdrop. Oh. I delight in the tiny furrow upon thy brow when thou dost regard me as if I were mad. I am enamored that even after spending the day with thee, thy scent lingers upon my attire, and I am enraptured that thou art the final soul I wish to converse with. Ere I retire to rest at even time. Oh, I got it right at the end there. This is when Harry met Sally.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the final <laughs> thing that and he says to her at the party. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, that was fun. I hate AI and everything it stands for and uh, Elon Musk, but like, that was fun to do. You use AI in a creative way. At the, the way it should least. be used. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, who else am I going to tap as a person? AI like?
1: should be used primarily for, for podcast games. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I stand by that. Uh, you heard it here, folks. Joe, that was a game most uh, uncultured. Um, I stole the I name. F- I stole the name from this. Um, I need to get you on. I need to get you on uh, watching Dropout.tv. They do uh, uh, several game shows, but one of them is called "Game Changer," and they did a episode called "A Game Most Changed," uh, where they had three players, three people from a improv troupe in LA that does only Shakespeare, um, okay. which is wild in and of itself, to be able to think and like make your shit rhyme and sound Shakespearean incredible stuff. Um, you should watch that episode. It's great. Yeah. Um super cool, but that's where I got that from. Anyway, you did great. That was fun. Um, do you mind telling everybody what's uh next for us uh, coming up in March? Where are we going?
1: I I do. We're we're super excited to cap off our Baslerman miniseries in February. And in March, we're going to continue with focusing on a single person within the the film industry. And uh this time we're gonna be Googling the term cinematography to make sure we have our definitions correct, because we will be talking about Roger Deakins, who is a rather famous cinematographer. We're going to be focusing on a couple of his movies that are kind of on like different ends of a spectrum. Absolutely. I would say. Yeah. Yeah yeah and my pick which we're going to start out with is a recent movie i think it's 2019 we're going to talk about 1917 maybe yeah. which i am super excited
0: for yeah um, we're, we're going to war it's going to be wild i had never i had never seen it before this is a joe pick and yeah. um uh, i'm going to dance around some of the the flicks that he's done uh without choosing the ones that we're going to do but um or to give away my pick at the end of the the, the month, <laughs> but Roger Deakins, for those of you unfamiliar, he's done movies like uh, The Shawshank Redemption, uh, Skyfall, Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Prisoners, uh, Sicario. So, like, get that kind of visual in your mind when we start talking about these kinds of movies. Um, he's you know a cinematographer brings to to light the director's vision and has sometimes unique signatures and things like that. So it'll be interesting to kind of talk about uh, these two movies that are, like Joe's, uh, Joe said, on complete opposite sides of the spectrum, um, you know, and, I'm, and see what kind of... I'm very,
1: yeah, I'm very interested to see the comparisons we're able to draw here. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy stuff. Oh, he also
0: did Blade Runner uh, 2049. So, like... I think he did.
1: I think he did Mad Max Fury Road, too. That's kind of the bigger recent one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this guy, like, rips. But, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, check us out on all the socials at uncultured universe and uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasted uh, podcast podcasted casted and stuff anyway just search for uncultured universe there we are uh youtube and the such um catch you guys later bye fare thee well fare thee well verily verily so